Jory's Blue Talk podcast and radio show starts now. You are listening to Jory's Blue Talk podcast and radio show streaming live and archived on the internet. Here's the host, Jory Rowe, here on Jory's Blue Talk podcast and radio show, where there's never enough to talk about. And that's the truth there in the matter. And this is your host, Jory Rowe, speaking here with you on a lovely, cooler, but not too cold, but not too warm also, uh, Saturday evening. And we are recording late this time for another reason of trying to do some experimentation with sound. And when we get all that resolved, we should have better scores, better uh, jingles, better introduction, better outro and breaks as well. But I'm Jory Rowe, your host, and I'm glad you tuned in to listen to me and you left everyone else alone. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the old and the new video game consoles on the show tonight. And and I thought that part of the show would be, a lot of it would be my own words, because video game consoles have come a long way. Now, from my standpoint, I remember the, the well, I remember the Atari 2600, and they had several versions of the Atari, but the 2600 model was the most popular. Like I said, they had other game systems, knockoffs that would play uh, like ColecoVision, Coleco games, uh, Atari games they'd play. There was these off-brand, well, they were name-brand, but they were companies, it's just like other companies that would make Nintendo consoles, for that matter. This is what I'm trying to say. But the, the most state-of-the-art one that I remember getting as a kid was not the Atari, but was back in its time, was the Nintendo Action Set. The Nintendo Action Set came with a light gun, two controllers, a, well, there were two games in one cartridge, which was Super Mario th- Mario Brothers. I almost said Super Mario 3, but that's not what came with the system. And Duck Hunt. Just don't shoot your faithful hound during that game. Now, the Nintendo Action Set, when it first debuted, it came out as the Nintendo Entertainment System. And the Nintendo Entertainment System had your two controllers and a robot called ROB, called the Robotic Operating Buddy. Now, I'm not too familiar with how that robot worked, but he was definitely an icon when it was just called the Nintendo Entertainment System. And believe it or not, with Nintendo, all of their systems that they have ever come out with, excluding the handheld systems, but all the systems that they have come out with were never over $300. So the next Nintendo Switch, called the Switch 2 that's getting ready to come out, will probably be no more than $300. Now let's dive into the past on some of these video game systems, and let's talk about the first generation. But in the history of video games, the first generation era refers to the video games, video game consoles, and handheld video game consoles available from 1972 to 1983. 
The notable consoles of the first generation include the Odyssey series, excluding the Magnavox Odyssey 2. The Atari Home Pong, and I mentioned it before, the Coleco Telstar series and the Color TV game series. The generation ended with the computer TV game in 1980, but many manufacturers had left the market prior to due to the market's decline in 1977 and the start of the second generation of video game consoles. Most of the games developed during the first generation were hardwired into the consoles and unlike later generations were not contained or removable on removable media that the user could switch between. Consoles often came with the accessories or cartridges that could alter the way the game played to enhance the gameplay experience, as graphical capabilities consisted of simple geometry such as dots, lines, or blocks that would occupy only a single screen. First generation consoles were not capable of displaying more than two colors until later in the generation and audio capabilities were limited with some of the consoles having no sound at all. Now imagine that. Your parents would probably like that, but the gamer would not. Me, anyway. In 1972, two major developments influenced the future of home video game market. In June, Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney founded Atari. Boy, is that ever interesting, which would go on to be one of the most well-known video game companies and play a vital role in the early generations of consoles. In September, Magnavox, an established electronics company, released the Odyssey. While highly limited in its capabilities compared to the future consoles and a commercial failure, the Odyssey introduced features that became standards in the industry, including removable cartridges and multiple detached controllers for two players. Inspired by Odyssey's ping-pong game, Atari would soon go on the market with the game Pong in both arcade and home versions. Nintendo, a well-established Japanese company that made a number of different products, entered the video game console market for the first time in 1977 with its Color TV Game series. Now, that was not the Nintendo Action Set, but let me tell you a little bit of tidbit about Nintendo. If you asked somebody, has Nintendo been around since the 1800s? And if they know their history well, they will say, yes, they do. Because Nintendo has been around since the mid-1800s. They sold playing cards and different kind of game pieces like dice, you know, stuff like that. Let's go to the overview and talk about the history of such. In 1951, Ralph Bayer conceived the idea of an interactive television while building a television set from scratch for Laurel in the Bronx, New York. Bayer did not pursue the idea, but it returned to him in August of 66 when he was the chief engineer and manager of the equipment design division at Sanders Associates. By December of 1966, he had a technician create a prototype that allowed a player to move a line across the screen. 
After a demonstration to the company's director of research and development, some funding was allotted and the project was made official. Bayer spent the next few months designing further prototypes, and in February of 1967, assigned technician Bill Harrison to begin building the project. Harrison spent the next few months in between other projects building on a successive modifications to the prototype. Bayer, meanwhile, collaborated with engineer Bill Rush on the design of the console, including developing the basis of many games for the system. By May, the first game was developed, and by June, multiple games were completed for what was then a second prototype box. <clears throat> now, we're talking about video game consoles on tonight's show, and we've just talked briefly about the Atari and the Nintendo setup. Now, the second prototype box that was uh, designed was... It included a game where players controlled dots chasing each other and a light gun shooter game with a plastic rifle. By the end of 1967, Bear and Harrison had completed a third prototype machine, but Bear felt that it was not proving successful at designing fun games for the system. To make up for this added, added Bill Rush, who had helped him come up with the initial games for the console, to the project. He soon proved his value to the team by coming up with a way to display three dots on a screen and once rather than the previous two and proposing the development of ping pong. <clears throat> now, it's got some... Uh, I'll write it up here on uh, wikipedia.com. We're going to take a look at this Odyssey cartridge. First car cartridge, it shows a picture of a cartridge of an Odyssey gaming system. And the brown box prototype. Th these are what... You look at these pictures, and you can just say, how in the heck can my PlayStation 4 do that? As Sanders was a military contractor and not in the business of making and selling commercial electronics, the team approached several cable television industry companies to produce a console, but were unable to find a buyer. By January of 69, the team had produced the seventh and final prototype named the Brown Box. After a Sanders patent attorney recommended approaching television manufacturers, they found interest first at RCA and finally at Magnavox, who entered negotiations in July of 69 and signed an agreement in January of 71. Magnavox designed the exterior of the machine and re-engineered some of the internals with cons consultation from Bear and Harrison as they removed the ability to display color, reduce the number of controller types, and change the system of selecting games from a dial to separate game cards that modified the console circuitry when plugged into the console. Magnavox named the console the Magnavox Odyssey and announced the system's launch date for September of 1972. But in the mid-1960s, Nolan Bushnell saw Space War at the University of Utah where he was a student. Space War is a 1962 mainframe game developed by a group of students and employees at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT. Bushnell had worked at an amusement park and felt that an arcade game version of the game would be, be very popular. The high price of computers capable of running the game, however, meant that they had such arcade game would not be economically feasible. 
But by 1970, however, mini computers were beginning to come down in price. He and his office mate, Ted Dabney, agreed to work together and try to design a prototype of the game. By the end of November of 1970, the pair had abandoned the project as untenable, as economically feasible computers were not powerful enough. Dabney soon thought of a way to manipulate the video screen on the screen, or the video signal on the screen without a computer controlling it, and from there, Suzuki Engineering came up with the idea of removing the computer altogether and building specialized hardware to handle everything for the game instead. Computer Space was the first commercial arcade video game and was released by the Paris Suzuki Engineering through Nutting Associates at the end of 1971, and after its release, they incorporated as Atari in the following year and began designing more games. Bushnell saw a demonstration of the Odyssey console playing its table tennis game in the early 1972 and assigned their first employee, Alan Alcorn, to produce an arcade table tennis game. The result, Pong, was the first major arcade video game success and inspired a large number of arcade and dedicated console versions and clones, including Atari's Home Pong in 1975. <clears throat> Now we're going to talk a little bit about the technology that enabled these people to come up with such a game system back in the day. The first generation of consoles did not contain a microprocessor were based on custom codeless state machine computers consisting of discrete logic or TTL circuits comprising each element of the game itself. Over the generation, technology steadily improved and later consoles of the generation moved the bulk of the circuitry to custom integrated circuits such as, <clears throat> I'm tired of this throat problem, but Atari's custom Pong chips and general in instruments AY-3-8500 series. Graphical capabilities were limited throughout the generation, often supported with physical accessories and screen overlays, but saw some improvement towards the end of the generation. While the Odyssey could only display three square dots in black and white as the gen generation progressed, consoles started being able to display color as well as more complex shapes and text. Early consoles such as the Odyssey and TV tennis electronic tennis required the players to keep track of scores manually, but later many introduced score counters on the display to assist players in score tracking. Audio capabilities were slow to improve over the generations, starting with the Odyssey, which had no audio, and later moving on to consoles which had buzzers that could produce a small range of beeps and buzzes. Now we're going to talk about the market saturation and the end of the generation. In 1976, General Instruments produced a series of affordable integrated chips that allowed companies to simplify console production and lower costs. Due to this, many companies had entered the home console market by the late 70s. A significant number of consoles that were essentially clones of Atari's home Pong and were many were poorly made and rushed to market, causing the home console market to saturate. 
The demand for the chips was so high that General Instruments could not supply enough to satisfy all the orders it was receiving because of problems for some smaller companies. Coleco received their order early on, allowing them to build up strong production capabilities and have success with their Telstar range. The start of the second generation and the next major advancement in home console technology began in 1976 with the release of the Fairchild Channel F system. The technology behind the first generation quickly became obsolete as customers had the ability to purchase new games for second generation consoles instead of having to purchase new systems when they wanted new content as with the dedicated consoles of the first generation. In comparison to the limited game library for each dedicated console, the Atari VCS launched with Combat, a cartridge containing 27 games. As people transitioned to the newer systems, some companies were left with a surplus stock and were selling at a loss. The combination of the market saturation and the start of the second generation caused many companies to leave the market completely. These events became known as the video game crash of 1977, as sales of the second generation consoles were only modest for the next few years until the arrival of the killer app, the home port of Space Invaders for the Atari VCS in 1980. Now, we can't always leave out, but actually, we got enough time left. We're going to talk about some of the home systems. And this is a picture. Well, I don't know what that's a picture of. Just hold on a minute. But let's talk about there were hundreds of home video game consoles known to have existed in the first generation of the video games. This section lists the most notable. Well, we talked about the Odyssey series. We talked about the TV Tennis Electronics. The Atari Home Pong system. Okay, I guess that was just a, uh, the system with that game embedded into it. I'm not really sure about that. But starting in 1976, though... Kleckel released a series of 14 dedicated consoles up till 1978 when they all suffered a significant loss due to the combination of dock worker strikes preventing it from being shipped to the final product in time for the holidays and the start of the second generation. The series featured a number of different styles of ball games and extra accessories to enhance gameplay, such as the Telstar Arcade, which had a unique triangular design that came with a light gun and a steering wheel attached to the casing. The series was marketed at a lower price than its competitors and sold well with over a million sales. Now, we also talked about Color TV Game Series, which since the late 70s, talking about Nintendo here, released a series of five consoles for the Japanese market. The first of the series is and the first console created by Nintendo, the Color TV Game 6, was released in 77. Didn't know Nintendo had anything to do with it and contained six ball and paddle games. The last, the computer TV game, was a 1980 port of Nintendo's first arcade game, Computer Othello. The third console in the series, the Color TV Game Racing 112, 
was the first project of Shinyu Miyamoto, which would go on top to become the creator of some of the most well-known video game franchises. Now, it shows a chart here coming up, starting with the Magnavox Odyssey, and it goes to TV Electronic or TV Tennis Electro Tennis, and it shows you how much money the companies made. These got the Home Pong and the Coleco Telstar series shows everything that they've made. But now we can't forget handheld systems. Okay, let's talk about that for the remainder of the show. Before we talk a little bit about the new stuff that's coming out. All the handheld game systems from the first generation are dedicated consoles and started late in the first generation. It was not until the second generation that the release of the Microvision that players could purchase games separately for the systems. The early dedicated handheld consoles were eventually eclipsed in popularity by programmable video games, which became popular in the fourth generation. And if you, that shows you just basically the plans and workings of the uh, handheld system. But one notable example is the Mattel handheld game series, which were released from 77 to 82. The first to be released were Mattel Auto Race and Mattel Football. They were all followed by other titles based on sports and some licensed properties such as the Battlestar Galactica. Each game had basic controls, a simple LED interface, and a buzzer for sound. The series was popular, so sold well, and at times was difficult to find due to high demand. In the same year, Coleco began to release handheld consoles after the end of the Telstar home console series. They released Electronic Quarterback, which expanded on the popular American football-style games by adding new features. Alongside Mattel Football, it became the other popular sports game of the period. Now, we're going to ask, answer some questions that people ask on Google. People wanted to know what the oldest game system is. Well, let me tell you, it was the Magnavox Odyssey, outside the Fairchild Channel F. In 1972, it came out, released the world's first home video game console, the Magnavox Odyssey. How have game consoles changed over time? Well, let's find out. Game console engineers have increased the storage capacity of gaming consoles since the first implementation of consoles. Space used to be limited to only a few megabytes of memory. But new technology has allowed console engineers to equip gaming consoles with storage for terabytes of game data. Like my PlayStation 4 has a terabyte of data. Or, yeah, ter terabyte of memory, I should say. What are old consoles called? I didn't know they had a name. Atari Flashback 6, release date 2015. Atari Flashback 7, 2016. Nintendo Entertainment System. NES Classic Edition and the Classic Mini was a family computer. Well, so that would be some of the old systems. 
Which retro gaming console is the best? Well, let's find out. The best retro gaming consoles available now are the Super NES Classic, the best retro console you can buy, the Sega Genesis, Mega Drive Mini, the best retro Sega console, PlayStation Classic, the best retro console with 3D games, Evercade, Retro Brit Super, Retrocade, Atari Flashback 8, Gold Deluxe, C64 Mini, and NES Classics. A lot of people ask which console came out first, Xbox or PlayStation. I think the Xbox did. It was the Xbox. Microsoft's first entry into the world of ga console electronic gaming which was released in 2001, which played in direct competition with Sony's PlayStation 2 and Nintendo's GameCube, just to mention a few. Okay, how old is the Wii? We don't want to forget the Nintendo Wii. The Wii, original while standing upright on its stand next to a Wii remote. Release date, November 19th, 2006. And the lifespan was 2006 to 2013 when they quit probably making the last one in 2017. The introductory price was $249.99 in the United States. Like I said, Nintendo's systems often were never over $300 when they first hit the market. Now a lot of people are asking, what is the greatest gaming console of all time? The best video game consoles and hardware of all time. And you would not believe it. There's a list, a short list. The number one one is the PC. You can do anything you practically want with a PC as far as the components, uh, the video cards, the sound cards and stuff, the, the more you beef it up, it can have better graphics and sound than a PlayStation 3 or 4 does. Now, the PlayStation 2 was came in second, and then the Super Nintendo Entertainment System came in third. And then PlayStation 4, PlayStation, just <clears throat> plain PlayStation, Xbox 360, Nintendo Wii, Sega Dreamcast, but just to name a few. It doesn't, it's not in order from the most popular to the, the least popular, but, you know. But anyway, we're winding down for this show, and I'm glad you tuned in and you listened to me and left everyone else alone. Let me go over to you what's coming up on some... Pre, uh, other shows that are coming up if I can get to the page in my schedule the next show will be a 15 minute long podcast about the memory tour of living in Indiana and going to school there be all my own words on that one followed by creepy places I've been in that will be a 30 minute show and the newest rising stars the outgoing ones and the incoming ones and then we'll be doing a show about a balloon adventure around the world with Steve Fawcett. 
as well as Famous Illusionist and a list of many more. But I'm glad you tuned in and you listened to me and you left everyone else alone. We are out of time for tonight. Tune in next time as we talk more about a blue topic on Jory's Blue Talk podcast and radio show. We'll catch you later for now. Bye-bye.